Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. I'm your host, Brad Jennings, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to episode 23 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Jason Good on the episode today. Jason's career has been specialized in packaging. As we know, packaging is a major challenge in our world. It has a major carbon footprint, is a major pollutant, and is contributing to challenges now and for future generations. Jason has dedicated his career to improving packaging and reducing the impact it has on our world. Jason has worked for a number of the world's largest organizations across different industries. He's also a director of APCO, the Australian Packaging Covenant, which is working to help us reach our targets of impact reduction for the future by way of packaging. Let's get into the episode. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks very much, Brad. Jason, what's, what's your backstory? What got you into the field of packaging and then environmental improvement? Yeah, it's an interesting story, I think, for a lot of people in Australia as to how they end up in packaging. It's uh, without a, a set uh, university degree course here, it tends to not necessarily attract people directly out of university. And it's something that people end up almost falling into um, through a whole range of different uh, reasons. I've you know, known quality managers, food technologists, fitters, you know, all sorts of people end up in a packaging technology type of role. And what I find is a lot of people that do, they enjoy the interaction between a broad cross-section of a business because you deal with sales and marketing, you deal with factories, you deal with suppliers, and that's just the nature of it. You know, ultimately, it has to work well through a production facility, it has to carry information, and it has to sell the product. So it's uh, it's quite interesting from the, um, the breadth of scope that you see and it's um i think it attracts people that enjoy that you know trying to work out how things work now for me starting off in more of a continuous improvement type role and you know wanting to know what it was that made a packaging production line work efficiently um you know assessing what it is that makes it work efficiently or not and so often it came down to the people themselves, you know, how they're operating the machine, how well they understand that, how well they're trained, um, and having that consistency of approach on something like a machine setting. So it's not a black magic. It's when you're running this line, this is the machine setting, and if you want to make a change, then understand why you're making a change and do it through data. You know, you do get the great old fitters that just be able to, you know, put their hand on something and know exactly how to fix it. Um, but they're few and far between these days. You know, a turnover in staff, um, an increase in complexity, and you know, there's just so much more automation that it's difficult to have that. You know, I remember my first car; I could fix myself. I wouldn't even really risk opening the bonnet these days on you know the new modern cars. You know, you need to have that um, that computer-based analysis to actually get into it. So, yeah, I'm a strong believer in uh, in information, in data, and correctly analysing that. And seeing what I've seen through the years uh, around how packaging is made and then used, uh, it's it's really uh, attracted me into that field. The environmental side of things, 
um, yeah, when you start seeing a lot of packaging thrown out of car windows and, you know, littered around beaches, again, you ask the question, well, why? It is a really interesting one for packaging because, yes, it is seen, it's visible. However, what isn't, isn't seen is the benefit that we're seeing from it as well from a saving food spoilage. And it's something I think that we'll touch on through this um, because it is an important factor that, you know, think of a world without packaging these days. And, you know, you, it, that doesn't work. It's, um, there's ways we can do things better, but we can't say that we have to get rid of packaging. You know, there is a lot more damage to be done to the environment by not having it than having it, but we still can always do better. Well, that's interesting, Jason. So there's that dual side to it. There's one side that it can be so bad for our environment if it's not handled the right way, but there's the good side it builds with, which is prolonging food life and reducing food waste hmm. yeah ab- absolutely there is absolutely there is and um when we think about trying to feed an ever-increasing population then we can't continue to just chop down forests and use more land you know we already know that i think they estimate you know 20 to 30 percent of food that's produced is wasted around the world well if we're feeding 7 billion now then 30 percent waste means that we can get to 10 without actually increasing our land production, land use, provided we can maintain the quality of that food, extend its shelf life so that we do get to use all of it. And then educating people on you know, how to use food, you know, how to assess its, um, its quality, its freshness. So things like use buys and best befores, the labelling aspects, uh, very important that we get that right. Uh, and some of these newer technologies that you see in packaging now where they can sense spoilage and being able to provide a indication of the quality of the food that's still within that package. You know, there's some great advancements being made to help this. Jason, what's the, what's the balance then that we need to get between having the benefits of packaging, which is so great when it comes to food spoilage and feeding the populations, but eliminating the environmental impact and not having that negative outcome. And I know you're doing work at APCO with this. Mm. Look, it's it's a great question because the I think the development of the sustainable packaging goals really uh, sets the foundation for how to look at what packaging is all about. You know, asking the questions, why are you using a particular material? What other options there are? Um, what if you chose something different? And not just about, can I reduce the packaging? Will it extend shelf life? Will it reduce shelf life? Uh, will I lower my carbon foot- footprint for packaging, but lead to a higher carbon footprint through increased waste or increased damage? You know, I'm sure we've all walked through the fresh food section of a supermarket and you see a bruised apple, a bruised banana, um, not choosing that one. So the packaging has a huge role to play in ensuring that the food that is produced is consumed. So it's asking those questions in the right way with the right people in the room. So it doesn't come down to someone who's running a production line who thinks that, uh, well, you know, if I made the bag half as thick, then I can get twice as much on a roll of film. So I'm only doing half the number of changeovers. That makes my line more efficient. Ah, But in the supermarket, when I pick it up, rips in half and all the product goes everywhere so it really is looking end to end is it efficient through production at the printer 
through to is it efficient getting it into the freezer, the cupboard, the fridge at home? And if you don't have representation across the whole supply chain, then you won't get the best outcome. And that's really what the sustainable packaging goals developed through APCO are all about, is having that right level of expertise so that you question what is possible. So, Jason, what, what are we targeting? Like, I know that APCO, the Australian Packaging Covenant, has some goals that they're really leading to that are backed by the Australian government. But what are those goals and why are we chasing them? No worries. Well, the goals, you know, luckily, they've kept relatively um, simple to understand. And that is that we want all of our packaging to be either be recyclable, reusable or compostable. The next one is that 70% of plastic packaging is being recycled or composted, which is you know, quite a bit above where we are at the moment. And that 50% of average recycled content is included into packaging. So, And even that has been revised up from 30%, um, which was the initial target for 2025, but that was hit so quickly that um, industry got back together and reset that with government support to 50%. And then the last one, which is you know, quite an important one, is to phase out problematic and unnecessary single-use plastics packaging so that we're not putting into the market materials that really we don't need. So it's looking look, from a community perspective, some of the things that we have put out there have been convenient, but with that convenience has you know, resulted in this um, creation of a waste stream that really probably wasn't thought about at the time of introducing some of these plastic packagings. So we can, you know, as a community, we need to take ownership of that. It's not something that is owned by any particular part. That's, that's all of us. We all own that and, you know, changing our behaviours. Um, why these are important? Like anything, if you don't have a goal, it's hard to achieve anything. Um, it's hard to set targets around investment to try and achieve them. So when we look at the, uh, the Australian landscape, for example, uh, without these types of goals being set by government, then it's difficult for investment to take place around collection, yeah, make sure that we're collecting the right materials in the right way, around recycling facilities and capabilities. So a lot of the recycling centres were developed at a time when we had no goals or that we were just trying to do better. And we did. You know, we all know the recycling rates have increased significantly over the last 20 years. Um, but are they optimal for what we're trying to achieve now? And you know, straight up, the answer is no, they're not. So, and you've already seen, I'm, I'm sure you've read uh, some of the new funding um, that state and federal government have offered up in the last budget to try and encourage business investment in this space to improve our recycling capability. Uh, a big part of that as well is that we're needing the producers of packaging and the consumers of packaging, the ones who are actually filling product into it, to question, well, what are they choosing and why are they choosing to help achieve these goals? You know, so again, we can look at problematic packaging. You know, some of the, of the plastics that are hard to recycle are multi-layer uh, laminates, for example. And, you know, making sure that if we're using them, it's for the right reason. You know, we've seen in the past some packs put on shelf that are brilliant, brilliant packs. You know, they present the product very, very well. However, they're in a material that is over 
to protect the product. So it's not truly necessary to present the product in that format, but it's look great. So there's an education piece and an acceptance piece by consumers that, uh, well, why is it so heavily packaged? And I, I think we see that now that you know, people at times are getting frustrated when they get something home and think, oh, all this wasted packaging. You know, people are really taking, a, taking note of how much they're seeing there. So this consistent messaging is extremely important that it helps all stakeholders aim for a target. Now, I just um, saw yesterday, because aligned with all of this, you know, this education piece is we need to get people recycling efficiently as well. And that's where the new Australian recycling logo that was developed and launched by the Australian Packaging Company and a couple of years ago now, now, really getting a strong push and support from government to to help people understand the new label that's been developed. You know, it is a lot clearer as to what to do with the packaging. Is, is it you put in the bin? Is it compostable? Is it returned to store for recycling? Is it put in the recycling bin as opposed to the rubbish bin? Uh, but now they're getting ads out there. You know, there was a sort of great shot from um, one of the team members on a train in Sydney yesterday where you know, the whole side of the train has got you know, a great big ad talking about this new label, which is great to see. You know, it's important that we start you know, helping people to determine when they're standing in front of a bin with a piece of packaging, what do I do with it? You know, I've only been working in packaging for 20 years and I can still have some bits go, I don't know what to do with this, you know, because it is dependent upon the material, the size, the weight. It's not easy. Again, you know, one material that it is recyclable, but in that format it's not, but in that format it is. So that's where the label makes it very clear. You can't just say it's LDPE, you can recycle it because we have to deal with recycling centres. Jason, I have to give a shout out for the Australian recycling label, the IRL. My family uses it diligently now. Boy, it makes it easy. Because sometimes with some items that you've got, there could be three, four layers of packaging and you can just look at the logos and go boop, 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 and you've got the right location. That's it. But I want to go back to something you said in that last response around, it sounded to me like it's really important that people get the balance right between the right amount of protection for their product, the right amount, not too much, not too little, but the right amount, because otherwise there's waste and cost. I'm sure that actually costs them more to have this overspect packaging. But also it's important that they actually consider the right, particularly plastic packaging, though I guess even the right cardboard packaging with what you're putting on it. How do they go about that, Jason? What, what do they need to do to do that and actually get that right? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I don't think there is one format that works for everything. Um, it's, there's consumer acceptance. Uh, it's, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not selling a product because you change a pack format, then it could be that you've gone from a non-sustainable, non-recyclable pack format into one that is extremely recyclable, you know, very sustainable. But if you don't take the consumer on a journey with you through that transition, then literally you can destroy a product. And so then the, uh, the aim of making that change into a more sustainable format fails, not because you chose the wrong pack format, but that you didn't understand what the consumer was wanting. 
So it's understanding, again, the entire supply chain to be able to come up with the right solution and then planning how you go about doing that. So it could be that you need to, in that type of example, if it's a range of products, you, you might have, say, half a dozen of the same type of product, different flavours. If we're talking about, uh, say, if we did a pasta sauce, you know, you've got, I don't know how many different flavours in pasta sauce. But if you're wanting to take a significant change in pack format, then maybe introduce one or two of the range in a new pack format. So people still see it set amongst the others. They are familiar with where it sits on shelf and let that gradually change over time. It's like a lot of companies when they're doing branding, particularly master branding, they talk about more of a evolution of the brand rather than a revolution of the brand. Because um, if you, you know, really make a massive shift quickly, then you can disenfranchise law customers. You know, it's, I'm not sure, from memory, I think 14,000 odd products in a Coles slash Woolly store. Um, I could be wrong on that number, but it's a lot. Um, so as you're wandering down the aisle, uh, you've only got a couple of seconds to catch the consumer's eye. And so if you make a significant change and they're used to seeing something and then it changes its format, it changes its colour, they don't see it, you know, the domestic blindness, you know, it's there. It can be right in front of you, but you're going in with a preconceived idea for what you are looking for. Easy to miss. So it's really important that, um, yeah, you understand uh, the whole life cycle of the product and your consumer and then look at what options there are to make that gradual change or if it is a radical change, what sort of campaign you need to put behind that. Um, so choosing the right pack format that is most sustainable, if that's all we had to do, then that is relatively straightforward. But it is the bigger picture that, you know, as a packaging technologist that you always need to be very mindful of that you, know, you need to have that broad lens and you work with your marketing team, work with your sales team, work with your factory team, work with the supplier of the actual packaging. Um, and then understanding the end of life, you know, what is it the consumer is going to do with it to make it easy for them to recycle as well. So, yeah, there's, there's quite a bit involved uh, to get it to that, that right pack format. Now, I can think of a great example where um, you could take a, um, say, uh, a product that's packed into a little plastic bag that costs one cent. So very efficient plastic, very light, and to put that into a cardboard box that has the sufficient rigidity to actually form and fold and, and work, you're probably going to go from a bag that weighs a gram to a box that maybe weigh or oh, eight to ten times that. Okay, so I'm using eight to ten times the weight of packaging. Is it a good thing to switch to cardboard that's recyclable? Uh, but it still takes a lot of energy to make and there's chemicals used in pulp production or leave it in plastic and increase consumer awareness on how to recycle the plastic instead. Hard to find that balance and know exactly what is the right answer. So, sorry, there is no magic bullet. No, but it's, it, a, great, it's a great example because I think, like Jason, where is that investment with the Australian government mainly going now? What, what packaging do they want to get to be recycled more effectively for the future? Well, not think. They want all formats to be recyclable. 
I don't think they have a preference for any particular one or another, provided that people understand how to interact with it, uh, that it protects the product adequately, and that it is recyclable. So you know, your glass, your steels, your aluminiums, uh, plastics. Yeah, a lot of plastics are highly recyclable. And yeah, it's only a matter of getting them sorted efficiently in a, to enable that to occur. You know, we're, we're seeing more and more products being put onto the market now that are being made from uh, mixed plastics even. So, you know, the Red Cycle program through our major retailers, great example where that material is being turned not into food packaging or even packaging at all, but being turned into, you know, large structural plastic items that in many cases are more durable than say their timber counterpart. So we're taking something that has been considered a pretty dirty, difficult thing to recycle and actually recycling it really efficiently into something that works well. You know, I'm not sure if you've seen some of the decks and bench seats, bollards, um, car park stops. Um, gosh, in Reese, we just launched a new um, recycled plastic air conditioner mount to mount um, the condenser units for split system air conditioners on, made from recycled plastics. Perfect, absolutely perfect. Um, so it's not that the material is bad. It's just that we haven't set ourselves up as a society to effectively manage it. And that's, that's where I think a lot of the investment is going to go, is across, again, across the whole supply chain, educating manufacturers on how to choose, consumers on how to recycle, uh, investment into the recycling centres to be able to sort and uh, and recycle these things, and then you know, touching on, and I'm sure we will on circular economy. Recycling only works if we have an end market for the product that comes out the back end of that, so that we stop seeing plastic as waste, packaging as waste, and we see it as a resource. Once that shift in mindset occurs then I think that we're going to see some very significant investment, I hope. Yeah. Jason, do you mind on that, while you're on that topic, I'm, I'm hearing a common trend through, which is education is extremely important, but also consumer decisions are very important as we go forward and being able to make that decision easy for them. And also you've just mentioned the circular economy. So help, help consumers with this, whether you're being a, a procurement manager in an organisation or whether you're at a supermarket about to buy something. What, what is the circular economy and why is it important with everything we're talking about? Yeah, a great question, Brad. We, um, I know as nifty there is talk, as an industry, there is talk about how to identify products that are made from recycled components. And again, much like the Australian recycling logo, it's important that we enable consumers to identify products that are made from recycled materials. And, and then give them the choice. You know, do they want to buy something from a virgin sourced material or do they want to choose the recycled component? And if they're choosing the recycled component, why are they choosing that? We can't just let them, uh, well, I don't think it's fair to have them take on the responsibility of understanding what is the best choice. You know, there needs to be, again, that education piece to explain to them that by choosing the recycled option, the recycled material option, then they're promoting recycling, they're promoting reduction in the use of virgin material, and you know, 
providing scale that enables those recycled materials to become more cost effective as well. Very, very important. We all remember the days, well, you and I would remember the days when flat screen TVs first came out, um, that something around a 40-inch mark was around, memory brad, around $40,000 or thereabouts. And it was only probably standard definition, you know, like the 640 by 480 maybe. You you look at what we buy these days and you're getting a 75-inch full 4K for, I don't know, $1,500. Why is that? At scale of production, it's improvement in manufacturing capability. And that's exactly what we need within the recycling infrastructure is scale so that we can build the machines that are capable of recycling efficiently to compete with, again, virgin materials, been around for many years. And so there's been that investment in capital to produce these materials efficiently. So your plastics, your papers, your steels, aluminiums, they've all been competing with each other. You know, why do you choose a steel steel can over a glass jar over a plastic jar? If the steel can was half the cost, chances are most times it's going to win or vice versa. So they've all been competing with each other around that cost point. And that's going to be the same within the recycled material as well, is that they need to be able to be cost competitive with their virgin counterpart. What's what's the benefit for the future, Jason? You know, if, if people are willing to get on board and help to drive some scale here, you know, make buying choices that helps to build scale and the recyclability of items and the use of recycled or the purchase of recycled materials, what's the benefit for the future? Well, we've only got one planet at the moment and we can't continue to dig holes in it. We can. It's not infinite. It's as simple as that. So the benefit is that we create a society that is living within its means. So we're not over-exploiting the resources that we have at hand. Uh, We're actually regenerating what we consume. If we don't regenerate what we consume, then we all know where that leads. We feast and famine. And it can't continue. I've lived through, growing up in the bush, I've lived through mice plagues. There's a reason why the plague disappears. It's because they run out of food. Now, what we're going to run out of first if we don't start being more sustainable, I'm not sure. Now, water's obviously going to be up there. Um, but if we split it across water, food, energy, we can't continue to increase our consumption infinitely because there is not an infinite resource. It's as simple as that. So the benefit is that we are then sustainable as opposed to unsustainable. I don't want to be the mouse, that's for sure. I'll, uh, I'll support that, Jason. Like This whole podcast, there's so much on this about creating a better future and sharing knowledge to do that. And it's, it's such a big one, isn't it? For sure. Jason, what advice would you give to someone looking to start some improvement in this area? They've listened to the podcast. They're like, yes, I want to do better. I want to help future generations. I don't want the mice plague to play out. What advice would you give them just starting out? For a start, that any change makes change so that there's no effort that's too small. It's uh, why do we have a vote? You know, one person out of 25 million, well, my voice doesn't count. Collectively, we do. 
So it's a collective agreement. We all need to contribute to making the place better. There's some great resources these days. I compare what's available now around how to go about this with 20 years ago before the covenant existed. I could go back five years ago and there's been huge change in this space just in the last five years. There's, so apart from the resource that's directly available through the Australian Packaging Covenant, uh, the Australian Institute of Packaging, another great uh, group of people, mostly volunteers, uh, who are you know, bent on improving outcomes for packaging, you know, helping people do better in this space. Um, so it's really every company has a responsibility and it's not only if they're consumers or you know, producing or putting packaging on the marketplace, their procurement choices can have a big impact on where we go as well. So, you know, it flows right through to consumers. So if you are given the choice of what is a more sustainable pack format, A, you need to know what is a more sustainable pack format and B, when you do choose that, then individually take the time to ensure that you recycle it appropriately. And I'd love to see the point where consumers really start actively uh, not choosing products that are made from materials that are not sustainable. So once we get enough of that message out there through, for example, the Australian Recycling logo with more products out there with the little bin saying, yeah, this is going to go to landfill, that when people see that, they stop and just think for a moment and if they're at the supermarket shelf in that category pick up a, maybe a competitor brand look at that one oh this pack component is fully recyclable if we start seeing that switch then manufacturers will make a very quick shift uh, not just because they necessarily will uh, do so out of the right environmental choices, they'll have to, you know, it's adapt to change or, you know, where that ends up. So, you know, you have a choice there. I think the other the other um, wonderful part of this is that as an uh, industry, there are more and more forums where companies, even competing companies, are talking about pack formats you know, in a, uh, a non-anti-competitive way but it's understanding how it's only through collective action that we can drive change. And that's where you see competitive brands getting on board and all adopting new materials, new labeling. You know, we do get on board and sign up for these things. It's only through that uh, consistency and standardization of approach that we can really achieve the outcomes that we want to achieve. You can't have inconsistent messaging because it confuses consumers. So that's a, that's a real key part. That's great advice. And Jason, this podcast is global and I understand that many countries around the world have their own body like APCO. Now, I guess we can't rattle them off. We won't know, but a lot of companies I know, countries I know do have that, I understand. There are more and more. Uh, I know, you know just through contacts within the Australian Institute of Packaging, the amount of work that they're supporting uh, globally, particularly in the third world countries where... Uh, expertise is being sought from the AIP here to help educate um, people overseas around the sort of initiatives that we've been talking about here. 
And I know that we're learning from uh, interactions with those other organisations internationally. Um, now, unfortunately, Interpac this year was uh, called off or delayed uh, due to uh, the current pandemic. Over the last, uh, I was lucky enough to attend that for the last 15 years. And one of the, well, two of the things that I particularly noticed over that, that time frame was uh, an increase in the amount of understanding and awareness of not just bioplastics or biodegradable plastics, but also bioplastics. So a uh, difference being bioplastic can be biodegradable or it can effectively be exactly the same as a plastic from a mineral oil source. But renewable in, you know, years rather than millennia. So oil takes a long time to produce underground. So if we're able to produce plastics from uh, renewable resources like trees, you know, like cellulose products, which we can, then it becomes a renewable a new, renewable resource. Huge growth in that at Interpac over the last, sorry, Interpac, once every three years held in Germany, about 100,000 people a year attend. It's a huge show from, and it's, I'd say, all things packaging, materials, machines, um, just a wonderful event. Yeah, so a huge growth in that sort of bio space. And at the same time, a significant investment by the packaging industry to try and get the message out there around right packaging, saving food, extending shelf life, protecting the product so that you're not wasting what has been produced. Uh, so having that, again, collective on a world scale and bringing that back to countries by the attendees is I see you know, that's how we drive change as well. Um, because again, we need volume. It has to be cost competitive to work on the world scale. You know, that's you know, we all live in a free market economy, and so it has to work. You know, we don't want to become a the sort of um, the world where we dictate exactly what has to be done. Because with that, will generally come inefficiency. So let the market find out what's sustainable by setting the right goals and let the market determine where that goes by educating consumers, letting them have the choice. And consumers are passionate about this space. So, you know, I'm very rarely do I, when asked what do I do and I talk about what I do, almost everyone has an opinion about packaging, which is great. So education is key. Yeah, and like you're saying, Jason, this is a this is a global challenge and a global goal to reach, and it's just a credit to you guys what you're doing in Australia. So thank you so much, Jason. What are you focused on now, mate? Going forward over the next five or so years, what what would you say is most important for people to consider, and, and what are you, is Apco and yourself focused on there? Um, well, certainly building the capability to achieve Australia's goals. Um, that's that's a obviously a huge one for APCO. You know, they are the facilitator of bringing together all stakeholders to deliver that plan. So you know, being that central repository of uh, of information, 
Now, they know that they don't have all the answers, but what they do have is a great model for bringing together the right parties to talk about this. So, you know, it's a credit to the APCO team as to how they have you know, really become an organisation that is providing that, um, that centre for people to discuss what it is to, prov- to achieve what we want to achieve. Uh, personally, and one that I've been, um, you know, very keen to see is that ultimately we understand packaging material and that when someone talks about a box, a carton, a shipper, uh, that we know what we're all talking about. So standardising language, standardising how to report packaging specifications uh, given that what we're trying to achieve is all measurable targets around, you know, if again, if we go back to the targets, reusable, recyclable, compostable, okay, we need to know the material and we need to know the weights and we need to know the dimensions, which are all specifications. 70% of plastic being recycled or composted, again, we need to know the specification. 50% average recycled content, we need to know the specification. None of this works without clarity and agreement on exactly how to specify these things. So, you know, I think a real enabler to help industry achieve our goals quickly is by standardising how we capture the information to make it simple, Uh, not just for the companies who are manufacturing the packaging, but the ones who are buying and filling the packaging through to the recycling centres as to how they're recycling them. We need consistency in this. And that's not an Australian thing because so much comes in from overseas. So how that's achieved, you know, I'll look at how long it took to roll barcodes out, you know, which is the, the standard of barcode. An EAN13 is an EAN13. Well, so you would think then people can make them smaller, people can make them taller, make them shorter. All that makes it harder or easier to scan. So if we can get a standard set that makes it easy to share information across our supply chain, then I think that it will be a huge shift in our ability to achieve the targets that we're after. So, yeah, one, having the right body to bring the right people together to talk about improvements. And then, yeah, just a... uh, Side note that uh, I've been passionate about is correct and accurate data related to packaging specifications. It just simplifies everything, doesn't it? Like mm. if you've got that, the whole world, even the consumers, it just makes them so easy to put the right logo on there for the right approach to it to really understand what to do. Yeah, it's brilliant. So, Jason, final question. What have you learned recently in your area of expertise that you didn't know before? What's been a recent insight you've had? I could say that there's many aspects of the job that can be done working remotely and confined to a home office. Absolutely, there is around data collection, uh, specification setting, um, content management. It's very difficult to optimise packaging when you can't get your hands dirty, literally get out there amongst it. So um, it's the one aspect of working remotely, working Uh, in isolation, that ultimately to optimise packaging, you need to get your hands dirty. You need to see how it's made. You need to see how it's converted 
in the you know, packaging, conversion, filling it. You need to see how it's consumed, watch consumers, see what they do with it, and then you need to visit recycling centres to see how it gets processed. Uh, so uh, I would say that that's a no-brainer. Of course, you know, of course that's the case. It's been made very, very starkly obvious by not being able to get out and amongst it. It's very difficult to run those optimization projects and feel as though that the solution that you're putting forward is the best one. So packaging technology is definitely a occupation that requires hands-on uh, direct interaction with the product at some point during development. Now, it's probably only 5% of the time. It's a very, very important 5%. Yeah, a big part of it's change management, like anything. You know, change management is always the hardest part. You have to have done that homework up front, though. Get yeah. the stakeholders, touch it, feel it, watch it, play with it. Yeah, you've got to go to where it's all happening. Go and see. That's right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can understand that challenge. Mm. Well, Jason, thank you so much for everything you've done throughout your career so far and what you're going to work on going forward, mate. You're truly helping to create a better future for generations to come. And it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. And thanks very much, Brad. You know, I'd wrap that you're putting these things together. You know, I've enjoyed talking with you over our many years now about continuous improvement. And, you know, what you're doing here, I think, is one of those things that fits right in line with what you and I have always spoken about. So, yeah, congratulations to you for putting this together, taking the time and effort. Well done. Thanks heaps, Jason. Talk soon. Will do. Cheers. My key takeaways from this episode with Jason are considering all the aspects of packaging, becoming educated and making the right choices as a consumer and end user, and the win-win economically and environmentally through improving approaches to packaging. Education is the key to every one of these points. Packaging has always been something many of us have not thought about. We buy and consume products with little thought about the packaging they come in. Education can be achieved through organisations in our countries, such as APCO. Also through understanding the differing labelling approaches to make it easy for consumers to make informed decisions. There is a challenge if you live in a country that does not have a labelling standard that is simple and fast to understand and make the right choices. What effort could you make to drive some change in this regard? Jason mentioned during the podcast case examples where organisations were using packaging that was over-specified for the product's needs even when considering product protection and product life. The ability for companies to move to more environmentally friendly packaging and packaging approaches that potentially save costs and helps the environment is amazing. This again requires us to stay educated and continuously improve our approaches with packaging and circulating packaging. What a great episode. Thanks again, Jason. Bye for now.